From the grassroots media team at Weave News, this is Interweave It. Welcome to episode 10 of Interweaving. I'm John Collins. We're back with more COVID-19 diaries. That's our series focusing on how people are experiencing and interpreting what's happening around them as the global pandemic caused by the spread of the new coronavirus continues to unfold. Today we hear from citizen journalists in Myanmar, Qatar, and Spain. As we all know, the COVID-19 situation is moving quickly. So please think of these reports as specific moments in time. Continue to seek out urgent, up-to-date information from your local authorities and public health experts. My name is Jordan. Today is Thursday, March 19, 2020. I am based in southern Myanmar, also known as Burma. I have been living and working in Southeast Asia, specifically working with young adults from Myanmar and the Thai-Myanmar border for the past five years. Currently, my experience with COVID-19 changes hour by hour. Until March 18th, there were no confirmed cases in Myanmar and over 150 tests were conducted. Although the international community and local community have doubts there are no confirmed cases. There is minimal testing being conducted and generally there is limited credible access to public health information due to internet shutdowns, lack of electricity, or faulty monitoring of the social media where such ideas have been spread that Myanmar's lifestyle and diet will protect it from the virus. There are so many observations and experiences I could share, but today I want to focus on my experiences as a service provider working and living in Myanmar. A week ago, State Councilor Da Aung San Suu Kyi stated that all New Year's events, also known as the Water Festival, would be canceled in April and mass gatherings should be suspended until April 30th. Preschools were required to close. Today, they have announced that all INGOs, NGOs, and civil society organizations to halt their activities. However, they would continue to hold matriculation and university exams and schools could remain open. Over the last three days, I have begun to see dozens of colleagues, partners, friends, get evacuated or asked to leave this country until further notice due to current coronavirus escalations throughout Europe and North America. For example, the Peace Corps and other international volunteer organizations, contracts were suspended and many other individuals were advised to leave by their organizations, government leaders or embassies. What I see is a mass exodus of international staff and volunteers at a time when the public is only beginning to grapple with the idea of a pandemic and the possibility that it will reach this country as Thailand, their neighbor, is seeing mass increases in confirmed cases. As a service provider, I wonder what is our responsibility to support these communities under these circumstances? I work in informal post-secondary education. Our school hopes to build the capacity of staff who work and live all over the country and the Thai-Myanmar border to improve local community development efforts. My work is the definition of interweaving. We are working to effectively weave together the work of different people and organizations across and between borders, ethnicities, religions, and contexts. Yesterday, Thailand decided to shut down all informal or formal education providers. And this directly affects service providers like myself because it means our partners have to stop their work. And what does that look like? What is next for us? We are currently waiting to hear whether formal and informal schools will shut down in Myanmar. We are ready, concerned and aware that it could be best for safety, but also could put service providers in tough situations with difficult decisions to discuss. 
I realized that our experiences of potentially delaying a school would be quite different from what people might experience in the United States. Our students come from all over the country, from regions with internally displaced camps, refugee camps, and areas of conflict. Many students have limited access to clinics and other health services. What is our responsibility to these students? Is giving them services in a more urban location with access to healthcare better or worse? Or is it better to send them home to be with their families? What if we impact the spread of COVID-19? Some might say social distance is the best. We cannot take responsibility as service providers. But what if the country cannot socially distance unless that means going to a rural village with no electricity or access to healthcare? Is that social distance? Is that the most effective way? Social distance in the Western understanding of the word is pretty much incomprehensible here in Myanmar. Houses are multi-generational. The idea of a bedroom is not part of the culture or architecture of the homes. Working or studying from home will not be an option for the majority of society. The risks are hard to avoid. I think the world needs to pay attention to the fact that the developing world faces distinct challenges and the public health efforts will have to be contextualized. Service providers like myself are having to make very difficult personal and organizational decisions that we will have to live with for many months to come. However, there is hope. Myanmar is finally connected to its neighbors, not only politically and economically, but socially. This is a challenge the global community has an opportunity to take on together. And for the first time, there will be a chance for Myanmar to truly fight for the public good with the assistance of its neighbors. As of today, I plan to work here and I look forward to sharing with Weave News listeners how COVID-19 is unfolding on the community level in Myanmar. My name is Ali Abu Sheikh. Today is Friday, March the 20th, and I am reporting from Doha, Qatar. This little virus is changing the whole world, even the city where I live. By March the 9th, 18 cases of COVID were reported in Qatar. So the Qatari government's communications office announced the closure of all schools, universities, and other educational institutions until further notice. A few days later, the state announced a temporary closure of cinemas, theaters, gyms, children's play areas, and wedding venues. All local and international events were canceled as well, including concerts. And the worst part for me right now is that dining in restaurants and cafes is prohibited until further notice. And of course, all modes of public transportation are suspended and all incoming flights have been cancelled. So I would say that the whole city is shutting down gradually. Because even now, when you go out, you rarely see people. You can even count the number of cars on public streets. I mean, Doha is one of those well-known cities of it's a traffic jam, but now you can just go out and see a few cars and that's it. And even when you go to malls and other places, um, they're very empty. It's, it's so clear that people are just staying at home and following the protection tips. And now even recently, I guess yesterday or, or the day before, they shut down malls. Only hypermarkets where you can get food are open. Otherwise, everything is pretty much shut down. This is really affecting me because I've just 
started to adjust to Doha. I've been here for seven months. And I'm this kind of person who likes to explore and hang out a lot. But now, I can't do this anymore. And unfortunately, the weather is getting worse. And it will be unbearably hot very soon. So now is the best time to go out and explore. Also, I'm this kind of person who just likes to study in cafes and restaurants. I can't focus in my dorm room. Uh, I love to study also in libraries, but now also libraries are closed. So the only place for me to study is my dorm room or the student residence hall. And that's it. Now it's only online learning. We learn through some apps or websites like WebEx. We attend online lectures. And online learning is very boring, and it, 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 it is intense for me. I, I don't like it much. I mean, you just, like, talk to your professors and classmates uh, on the screen, and this doesn't really work for me. So I find it way less sufficient. Traditional learning or learning in a real classroom is much better when you can interact with your professors, with your professor and classmates, in a much better way. I guess... What is really giving me hope is the government because they are taking this very seriously and they are doing their best to limit the spread of the coronavirus. Um, even uh, when we used to go to shopping malls, because they're now closed anyway, um, you would find hand sanitizers at the entrance of the mall so that you can have a safe shopping experience, as they call it. And even now in the residence halls, um, you always find hand sanitizers near doors and in the front desk and wherever, uh, which is cool. So they're taking this seriously. They're doing their best to even raise uh, the citizens' awareness of the disease so that they can take all the needed um, tips or precautions in order not to get infected uh, with the virus. Also, people's awareness gives me hope because the people are taking this seriously and most of them as i mentioned say at home you rarely find anyone going out or hanging around or something and now uh, the reported cases reached um 460 but i think that the coronavirus has really started to affect the way i see the world it actually made me realize how weak this whole world, and including humans, of course, how weak they are. They are very vulnerable, and this letter virus can just destroy their economy, their lives, and just to change every single thing in their lives. And they can do nothing. This actually even paralyzes me, how humans who pretend, I would say, to be strong are now just very weak and can't do anything to end this. It also pricks my heart. But at the same time, I start to feel numb, to be honest. Maybe as someone who comes from a war zone, my numbness is somehow expected. I mean, I've seen worse. I've been through a long blockade and three major Israeli assaults in Gaza. And... I had to be stuck at home for weeks. Any special occasions or weddings used to be canceled as well. So 
life has stopped for me many times, but now it is stopping for me, but without my friends, without my family. So I, I kind of feel blockaded again, but this time I'm not blockaded in Gaza. I'm blockaded here in my dorm room in Doha. You're listening to Interweaving, a podcast of conversation and context from Weave News. Contributions from readers and listeners play a central role in helping us continue and expand our grassroots media-making efforts. If you'd like to support our work, just visit weavenews.org slash donate. Now, back to the show. Hi, my name is Paloma Alvira, and I'm reporting from Madrid, Spain. Today is Thursday, 19th of March. Five days ago, the Spanish government declared the state of emergency due to coronavirus, which means that the state has the power of controlling human movement and taking over alimentary resources and industries to prevent a potential shortage. What is new about this measure? Well, now the control of human movement is supposedly exercised over the entire society, including the white, middle and high-class population, and not only over migrants and racialite people who are already being persecuted by the Spanish state and even in prison for exercising the right of movement and migration. I would like to share with you some thoughts on how the coronavirus crisis is taking shape in the Spanish state. Well, I agree on most political analysis that have, have been published these days considering both the danger behind implementation of social control measures by global elites to tackle the crisis, which indeed might remain at the, after the health alert, and the opportunities this crisis is giving us for questioning the global order and somehow prefiguring alternative ways of governance from our immediate locations. Mm, resonating with the first issue, the Yo me quedo en casa, I stayed home catchphrase has gone viral. The Spanish government also appeals to social discipline, responsibility and union of actions as central ingredients for the nation's recovery. To me, this is a very worrying aspect. In a few days, this neoliberal discourse of self-control, which indeed denies the unequal opportunities people have to confine, has permeated lay people practices. That is, people are policing through social networks what friends, acquaintances or unknown others are doing to prevent them from opposing the national social discipline we are practicing from Saturday. If you feel the person you are stalking is not being responsible enough, you have the chance of sending them a I stay home message full of social disapproval. It is cheaper and more efficient to have disciplined citizens than security bodies. And here's where we have the system success. We are all performing social control measures. And we will see how far we can go on this task. I believe that the coronavirus crisis is bringing to light the pitfalls of the system, which resonate with those placards that read 404 error, system failure, that warned us 
of the capitalist disaster during the 2011 Indignados occupation in Madrid. This is not only a health alarm, but also a social and economic one. This situation is forcing us to look at the various dimensions in which the system is reproducing violence. Job insecurity, housing precariousness, institutional racism, the feminization of the reproductive work, the violence of the prison system, etc. However, against this violence, I believe that powerful alliance between workers, neighbors and other social actors have been articulated bringing the commons forward. That is the case of workers that have opposed to labor exploitation in, of in times of coronavirus and require companies the compliance of their labor rights or neighbors creating networks to take care of those who are alone and need any kind of help during quarantine or people offering improvised lectures, hand-on workshops and chat based on their skills and knowledge, forcing the boundaries of disciplines and institutions. With this, I'm not defending unpaid labor or volunteering, but I'm standing with the grassroots groups that revalue the commons with their practices against capitalist accumulation. During the quarantine, we are physically isolated, but that doesn't mean we cannot communicate via digital platforms with unions or alternative media, or by opening the window and talking to the neighbors. Maybe when all of this is over, the next time we face a, a forced eviction in our building, we will call our neighbors and the tenant unions to try to stop it. Hopefully, the end of this quarantine will find us stronger and organized. On behalf of the team here at Interweaving, a huge thanks to Jordan in Myanmar, Ali Abosheikh in Doha, and Paloma Elvira in Madrid for contributing their voices to today's episode. Looking ahead, we plan to release new episodes as often as possible as we use our citizen journalism network to help weave the world together during this global pandemic. We encourage you to visit our website at weavenews.org for more information about this series and how you can be a part of it. Take care. Interweaving is a production of Weave News, weaving the world together, one underreported story at a time. Our engineer is Terry Dubray, and our theme music is provided by B Children. For more exciting grassroots media content, find us online at weavenews.org or on social media at Weave News. There you can find out how you can support or join us in our work. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another episode of Interweaving.